What's going on, beautiful people of planet Earth? What a privilege and honor to be with you again today. We have another fantastic episode for you. We have Ron Carucci on, and we are talking about personal and organizational leadership honesty and congruence. Uh, Ron is an expert in leadership uh, training and working with CEOs and executives transforming change in individuals and corporations. Um, He works with Fortune 10s, not Fortune 500, Fortune 10 companies. So he really knows what he's talking about. Um, We talk about principles of a great leader, why leaders should be curious and humble, four elements of a great leader, the art of decision making, the number one problems with startups and young entrepreneurs, uh, why you need to be congruent. Why human are why humans are meaning-seeking machines? Um, doing a spiritual health check. The four pillars. So this is a stacked episode on leadership and all things leadership. So I know you're going to enjoy it. If you like the episode, please take a screenshot, share on Instagram, tag me at Matt Belair. Um, you can share on Facebook or anywhere on social media is always great. Um, just tag me, let me know where you're listening. I'll have to see what you guys are up to while you're listening to the podcast. Um, you can also leave a review in iTunes. Those help so much. If you like the show and you want to support, please leave a review in iTunes. It really does help and go a long way. And also Patreon. If you want to support the show financially, and just toss a buck in the bucket. It goes a long way. Trust me. Um, I want to thank so much Joshua Chevain. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Thank you so much for your support. It is really appreciated. But the best thing that you can do is one kind act today. If not, even better, three kind acts. Take the kindness challenge. Do three kind acts a day for a week. Go out of your way to do it and don't tell anyone. That's the absolute best way to support the show. Um, so, yeah, that's it. I also want to thank my podcast sponsor, the Himalaya Podcast app. They're free. They're easy to use. They're a great way to listen to podcasts. What I love about it is I can curate playlists with multiple shows and stream. Like Because sometimes I'm the one show and another show, it's, like, it's not always just the same show I'm listening to. I'm listening to multiple podcasts as well at once so you can create um, that list so it just kind of plays one after another and that's usually when I'm listening at the gym and I usually listen at 1.25 I'm taking notes along the way and uh, yeah it's a great way to discover new shows to new new episodes and communicate with uh, podcast community so uh, when you're over there make sure you give the mastermind body and spirit show a follow and you can find them on the app stores at h-i-m-a-l-a-y-a For those of you guys who are interested in coaching and you're really serious about leveling up, if you want to explore things that we talk about on the podcast like consciousness, spirituality, uh, peak performance, all of those things, definitely we have a program for you. I've designed quite a few and it is really great because I'm working with a lot more young people and it's exciting. So basically, if you're really ready to do the work and figure out what your soul calling is, life purpose, and you're looking for a little bit more fulfillment and you have no idea where to get started... We can take you from A to Z, and if you are already a peak performer, an entrepreneur, you want to learn this for yourself, how to get that extra 1%, it's the same thing. You're just a little bit further down the line. So all of this, all the principles are the same, and when you use them in harmony, when you use them in synergy, it's really interesting because a lot of the time I work with people who are really already successful financially in business, they're looking for a little bit more balance in, let's say, spirituality, fulfillment, consciousness, you know, some of the other things are kind of lacking. And some people are like, I have no idea where to start, but I don't know how to get to, I don't even know how to define my vision, let alone create something. So once that gets created and steps are, are made along the way, they really feel empowered and are go to into a deep sense of knowing that they can 
create what they want. But the key is you need to be able to define and refine your vision. And once that happens, um, then we put in all the strategy, the peak performance, uh, the law of attraction and all that kind of stuff. But the nice thing is it's simple. You just got to put the effort in. So that's my rant for that. If you're interested, um, hit up matt at zenathlete.com or go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching, fill out the coaching form. And doesn't matter if you're a person or an organization, it's all the same head over there. So that wraps it up. Head over to mattbelair.com, sign up for the email list forward slash lucid dreaming if you want to get a free free lucid dreaming ebook and audio and let's dive into this episode so before we do let's just take in a deep breath together hold that breath and just let it out slowly filling yourself with peace empowerment connection confidence and ready to take on this incredible episode with ron carucci Hello and welcome to the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is co-founder and managing partner at Navalent, working with CEOs and executives pursuing transformational change for their organizations, leaders, and industries. He is a best-selling author of eight books and popular contributor at Harvard Business Review and Forbes. He has a 30-year track record helping some of the world's most influential executives tackle challenges of strategy, organization, and leadership. From startups to Fortune 10s, turnarounds to new markets and strategies, overhauling leadership and culture to redesigning for growth, he has worked in more than 25 countries on four continents. He has been featured in Fortune, CEO Magazine, Business Insider, MSNBC, and more. Welcome to the show, Ron Carucci. Hey, Matt. How are you? Good to be with you. Yeah, good to have you on the show. I was, I was blessed to have somebody introduce us, and I looked at your work, and I was like, holy smokes, got a, a two-time TED speaker. You've been working and just kicking butt in, in ever in, in big-time business and that kind of thing. And I was like, great. He's going to come on my podcast and share his wisdom. So uh, thanks for coming. Uh, it's good to be here. So, well, why don't we give uh, the audience a little background on who you are, like your work and what you've been up to, and we'll dive uh, wherever you think we'd like to go. We can go into leadership. Uh, you said you just did a, off when we first started uh, a research on honesty. I assume that's within organizations and for the self. I think that's really uh, an interesting topic. So I'll let you give the audience a little background on who you are, and then we'll dive in where you'd like to start. Yeah. Well, um, so I spend my days uh, with my friends at Navalent. Uh, traipsing the world and the hallways of all kinds of organizations uh, alongside all kinds of leaders who are stuck in a ditch or there's some hill they want to take that they can't get to or there's some aspiration they have that they can't quite figure out how to reach and we help them accompany them and craft that journey uh, to get from where they're stuck or uh, to where they want. Uh, we do that through a variety of ways, uh, helping them fix their organizations or fix themselves sometimes when they are the biggest challenge <clears throat> and it's a privilege we get to you know we get to wake up every day and think about how to leave the world better than we found it and it's a it's a real treat well it sounds like some interesting work i think you kind of glossed on a lot of stuff because you've written eight books a uh, few of them are on leadership so do you want to touch on any of those books or do you want to go right into uh, your current study on honesty and organizational honesty well, you know, we can, so let's, you know, the, this little bit of a, uh, the last book, Rising to Power, was a little bit of a pre predecessor to the honesty study. So um, we have a phenomenal database of great interviews we do uh, with our executives. We've been doing them for, um, you know, 15 years. 
So at the 10-year mark, we had about 2,700 um, interviews in our database. And at that point, what we had learned uh, about executives was that we've known, uh, that, you know, a statistic that had been known for a long time, which was more than half of them fail in their first 18 months. They get appointed to a, a bigger job or a bigger role of more influence, and they flame out within a year or a year and a half. And that had just become a normal, everyday routine statistic. And, you know, careers and families and opportunities were, you know, piling up in the carnage behind this statistic. And we thought, we can do better. Well, it got, it got real personal for us when people in our own organizations that we were consulting with were being given roles as a result of our transformational work uh, and not succeeding in those. Um, and so we thought we want to find out why, because uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense that we can't figure out how it is people who are in these, in suddenly being um, told they're high potential, they have great futures, they're, they're, they're the next coming for leadership, and suddenly within a year they're a disaster. Um, so we examined uh, at the 10-year mark the 2,700 interviews and uh, uh, organizations we had worked with to see if we could see any patterns. What was causing these leaders to fail? Um, and we did. We, def we uncovered some remarkably consistent patterns, not just among the failure group about what was causing leaders to, to tank, but what were the, one, the other ones who were sticking the landing doing? What were the ones that were actually thriving at higher altitudes and making a difference for the communities and organizations they led? What was setting them apart? So that was ex exciting for us in the last couple of years. We've spent a lot of time helping the world and helping leaders and changing some careers and changing organizations by helping them make different choices in their leadership. Well, you know, so fast forward four years, now we have 15 years of data. We went back to that same pile of data, now 3,300 degrees strong to say, okay, so if we know what it takes to have leaders thrive in, that, in those organizations, and we see the kinds of organizations that produce great leaders, what else could we learn about those systems? What else could we figure out about what, what it takes to be a healthy, thriving community of people united in some common purpose or cause? And we didn't have any parameters. We, you know, we have phenomenal artificial intelligence uh, software and great analytical tools to help read data and take out human bias and really understand what's what the truth is about the information so we're not imposing a hypothesis and we did not expect to find um, information on honesty you know what it is that causes people to lie in organizations well I think you know I, I'm sure it's true in your country where you are Matt but certainly here in the US you don't have to look very far or, or ahead or behind many days to find some example in some place where somebody has misled somebody and somebody's withheld the truth or distorted the information or created fake news or manipulated some data set to get other people to think a certain thing. And it's frustrating. It, I think people are, are at, at their wits end trying to figure out who can I trust? What information is reliable? Um, why are you telling me that? What is it you want from me? And the suspicion and, and paranoia we have about Who's telling us things? And so we wanted to know, in the context of a community or an organization, how do you, how do you change that? How do you make sure, well, under what conditions could organizations be doing things that actually encourage people to be lying? And we found four. We found four remarkably um, obvious patterns uh, that when people hear them, they're like, oh my gosh, that's the organization I work for. Uh, and I think what companies are doing is un they don't realize that they're unwittingly in allowing these conditions to flourish 
that they're actually encouraging folks to distort the truth. Uh, so that's that's my my lead in. Interesting. Well, you know, I'm very curious on what those four things you discovered are. And I'm also curious if you've noticed any principles in leadership. I think that leadership in so many organizations and even in life is important, you know, where, wherever you are, like to be a leader of your family, to be a leader in your community, yeah. to be a leader in your organization. So I'm curious um, about the individual's process. What makes a leader? Like what kind of environments or external things can cause like a positive growth for leadership? Let's say we're working with youth or we're bringing somebody up in our organization. And also what are some attributes to great leaders? Like what is it? It's kind of like the same question, but it's like what will foster sure. and develop leadership? And, and what are those characteristics fully formed when you are that leader? So the first one, I'll go back to our first study and I'll draw from that because I think there's some insights that apply to all of us. The first one is context. Meaning, as a leader, are you, are you studying in a curious way your environment? Are, are you showing up to the, your role with answers or questions? When leaders feel like they're, they have some mandate to come and have an, be the answer ATM, to show up with you know, the direction, the, 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 um, the choice, without studying what's happening around them, they, they forfeit curiosity. But a leader's best posture uh, in, a, in, in, in an opening move is to be curious about why is it the way it is, even if it's broken or even if it's not the way you want it, or even if it's odd to you, don't start with the presumption of all I know is all there is to know. Start with the presumption of there's more to know and I should go find it out. But if you start with the sense of I'm here to change this and you have a little bit of a hero syndrome about that, um, you're dangerously set up to fail. Because you, you have to accept that the context you're leading in has as much to change in you as you have to change in it. Um, and if you don't approach it with that posture, you, you're likely to get organ rejected out of the context. The second is breadth. So, you know, in a family, in a, a Boy Scout troop, in a Little League team, in our schools, in our, in our big corporations, groups of people naturally fragment. Right? They naturally come apart. They naturally gravitate toward their own mini tribes or to their own people who are like them or their own department or their own group. Um, so leaders start typically presiding over some type of fragmented situation. Um, their job is to make sure, A, they don't intensify that fragmentation, but to bring cohesion to it. You know, how do they find the seams of the people in their family or the people in their communities or the groups and teams that make up their organization and bring them together. Uh, and most leaders, especially if they've grown up in a particular functional bias, so if they grew up in finance, you know, they see the world economically. If they grew up in marketing, they see the world through consumers. You know, if they're the father, they see the world through, you know, cleaning the house and getting the chores done and saving money. If they're the mother, they see the world through getting homework done and being kind to each other and, so they have a, a view based on their role, but, but when you're leading, your job is to see all the views and, and, and stitch the seams together and bring cohesion and find out how to bring people together by building bridges. The third is choice. So you know, if you're leading, you're making decisions. And sometimes those decisions are hard. Um, I, you know, I tell people that leadership is the ability to disappoint people at a rate they can absorb. Um, you're you're going to let people down. And if you have a predisposed need to please people, uh, to say yes to requests, just to purchase popularity, or to purchase loyalty, 
or to make sure you don't make people frustrated because you don't want to feel estranged from them, you're going to fail as a leader and you're going to institutionalize mediocrity. You have to be willing to narrow the focus of people uh, on a few priorities, on a few things. And, it, and sometimes it means saying no to even great ideas so that the ideas you've already committed to can prevail. And that's hard for leaders, especially hard for entrepreneurs. They want to say yes to everything. And the last one was connection. It's the relationships you form, uh, whether it's with bosses, peers, direct reports, customers, you know, siblings. Um, the, the basis on which you establish trust, the basis on which you establish your credibility is a critical part of leadership. And many people prioritize their network or their stakeholders according to who they need something from and what they need from them. But the leaders in our study who were the most successful, who set themselves apart in the success group, were the ones who prioritized their stakeholder group according to who they could contribute to, who they could make a difference for, whose success could they advance, whose development could they strengthen. So if you're a leader, yes, there are people you have to rely on and you certainly should rely on them and get what you need from them to accomplish the community's goals. But how you spend your time by and large in relationship to other people, you should be thinking as much if not more about who can you contribute to, who can you make more successful, not what, what can you get from them. And you know, every community has them, right? You've seen them, Matt. It's, it's the boss everybody wants to work for. It's the leader everybody, who's every, who every Little League team coach wants to be part of. Um, we all know, we see them, we know who they are. Uh, so context, breadth, choice, connection. The hardest part about our study was that the, the successful leaders did all four well. So no matter how many, we did 99 different regression analyses to see if I could refute that because I didn't want to have to say that. Every time, uh, if you did three of the four well, you were in the failure group. The only way to succeed was to see all those four things as one thing with four parts. So the great news is they're learnable. You can learn them early in your career. You can learn them in a family early. You can teach your kids this early to think about how to be curious in new situations, how to build bridges among people, how to make hard, important choices and stick to them, and how to build connections that you uh, contribute to. Um, if you wait till your most senior level role of influence in your life to start learning some of the ones you're not good at, that's probably going to not go too well. Interesting. Well, it's funny because like when I'm listening to it, I feel like it's common sense, but we sometimes don't operate that way, especially in business. It's more about like the bottom line of like, you know, you're talking about like connection. And I remember reading uh, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari by Robin Sharma years ago. And it just talked about the number one motivator of employees was not money. It was actually appreciation. And then you can right read. Now, Go ahead. About the bottom line of oh. like, Oh, yeah, the, the Facebook Live get you? Reading uh, The Monk Who Sold This Ferrari by Robin Sharma years ago. Something happened here. About the number one oh, moment. yeah, you just got to close the Facebook. The, the Facebook Live will get you if your Facebook is open. It's got me before, but... <laughs> yeah, I've done it before. I'm like, whoop, but I, I'm doing it. Yeah. So, um, so Robin Sharma and The Monk Who Sold the Ferrari just talked about appreciation being the number one motivator, but also... Um, you look at um, how to influence friends, how to win friends and influence people. Again, how to create community or, or how to create a connection. And, and it just comes to like being a good human being, you know, being a good role model, appreciating someone else, creating connection. And what can you give them 
as far as value? How can you help them? And these are, they're very basic principles, but I think that in business and sometimes in the world, we don't think that way. We're kind of thinking a little bit selfishly, a little bit on the bottom line. And um, if you do that, you can kind of get yourself into a pickle eventually. So what I'm curious about, and it's a little bit of kind of like a digress, but I don't know, you've worked for it with really big corporations, really big companies, a lot of dough on the line, millions of dollars. And so they need to make a decision. So what I'm curious about is how do you go in and, and operate and know if a, if a company is functioning well and they're cohesive and they're, and, they're, and they're on the move or what are some things that you find and you look for, for trouble? You're like, oh, they're going to be in trouble if these things are happening. And the final question, it's a pretty vague, but I'll let you speak on it. It's uh, like when you go in there, and you're, and you're in these big companies, what do you look for if they're going to make a decision on something? How, is there a process that you go through to make a good decision? Because I think a lot of young entrepreneurs, they're making these decisions and they're trying to make the right decision. And I feel like when you're in there consulting, you might have a decision between A and B. And I'm just curious if you have protocols for any of that. So well, there's a lot, a lot in there. Let me unpack a little bit of it. So I, I, the, your first question is, how, how do we enter organizations? So we have a really rigorous diagnostic process when we go into a company. You know, if you, were, if you went into your cardiologist and said, yeah, I've got this really sharp pain right here in my chest, the cardiologist squinted and said, oh, yeah, that's your upper left ventricle. It needs a stint. Let's go put one in. You, you might be a little concerned that they didn't want to look first. And so for us, it's no different. You're asking us to tinker with your organization and find out what's going on. We, we do an MRI. So we go in and do a pretty forensic deep look under the hood about what's going on in your organization so we can get the lay of the land and really understand it holistically. You're going to have your opinions about what's wrong and why. I already know those are flawed because if the, those assumptions had been right, you'd have fixed the problem already and you wouldn't have called me. So I already know that at best you have part of the answer uh, and in many cases, completely the wrong answer. So once we have a holistic diagnosis of here's what's really going on in this system, however the system is defined and however large it is, um, then I can make some different choices around, okay, well, here's the problem you say you want to fix or here's what you say you want to become. Here's what has to happen then in order to change that. And so along that journey of transformation are endless series of choices and options. Um, the, the reality is it's very rare in organizational life uh, where you have complex problems for which there is a right answer. Um, so, so to your question about A and B, the minute I know you've, you've reduced a decision down to a binary, I already know you have the worst options available because there's no choice in life for which is typically only two answers. So now that you've reduced it to two, now what I know is we, we're, we're pitting wills. So now I know that one person thinks A is right, one person thinks B is right. So A's primary goal is to prove B wrong and vice versa, right? So I need to help you zoom out and go, okay, let's create a, a bigger menu of options here because there's an optimal option somewhere here and it, the, the best option is the one you're going to commit to making work. But if you're looking for the right option or if you're suddenly looking to make your option the best option, that's a very different process than the right option or the best option. So when, when it comes to decision-making, I wanna know what data is informing your choices. What level of intuition or experience are you relying on? Whose voices have you included in the process? And whose voices have you excluded from the process? <coughs> what, often I'll learn a ton about a leader when they tell me what data they didn't consider and whose opinion they didn't ask for. 
Uh, and I want to, and, and it's not, you know, not everything's consensus, not everything's democracy. You don't have, you don't have the luxury of time in life to ask everybody's opinion, how they feel about something. And that's, that's actually bad leadership. But if I see a pattern of certain types of views or perspectives or data sets, not entering the, the, the conversation, then I'm going to be curious about that. Um, I, I think used to be that information was power, right? That you, you know, whoever had the information had the power these days, that's, silly because it's ubiquitous. Now it's whose interpretation of the information is prevailing. And so I want to know who's influencing you, whose voice is mattering to you. Um, when you have dueling fact bases, and that's common these days, right? I can make the facts anything they want. Um, how are you letting the fact bases duel? How are the debates unfolding? Uh, what biases are corrupting or hijacking the conversation in a way that may be either playing you or fooling you or colluding with you? Um, and so th th I'm going to see those patterns pretty quickly as you're making choices about your organization. Then I, and then when it comes to the broader issue of decision making, which is governance, right? So how are decision making institutionalized at your company? Um, I'm going to examine where it's happening and by who, because almost always the problem of governance is it's, it's held too close, close to the top and it's not distributed where it needs to be, or it's so decentralized that nobody knows who makes what decisions. I, I joke about a game show I see companies playing all the time. Whose decision is it? Whose decision is it anyway? Because most people don't know who's making the decision today, um, which they eventually learn to use to their advantage, right? Because if I don't know who's making the decision, I'll decide what the decision was and go about acting as if I got my way. And that's when you see all kinds of fragmentation happen in companies. So everybody's off doing their own thing, you know, interpreting whatever came down from on high as, yep, that's what I wanted. Uh, and or you have leaders who are very waffly. I have a I have a client who used to be called the waffle um, because it, it, the, the the classic game of last one in, you know whoever was in the, the meeting last or whoever in the last position got their way, and so people would actually time their conversations like to get into him like just minutes before the executive team meeting so that in the meeting your decision got announced, and they had learned to actually manipulate the leader that way. It was a well grooved process. People would watch the door. And so, you know, as leaders, whether you realize it or not, you're training your organization how to work with you. You may be training them about things about yourself you may not intend to. Hmm. Interesting. Well, there's a lot of good insight there. And I think that um, just even understanding those, they're, they're all just very grounded and they make a lot of sense. So I, I like how just practical it is. And what, what I'm thinking about is, do you have any core elements or principles when you look at a company like Amazon or companies that have just exploded and they're successful companies, is there a common principles that they have that somebody who's a, they're a young entrepreneur or they're starting a business that they can apply to their lives? Well, I don't know if I'd ever hold up any singular company as an example. They all have their flaws, right? Amazon does a lot of things great and they have a lot of things about their culture that are very flawed. I think the biggest issue I see in young entrepreneur startups, and I've got a number of clients in Silicon Valley and other, other, other sectors in biotech and technology that are startups. And the biggest things I see problematically with entrepreneurs is their impulsivity um, and their inability to understand their role as a leader. Um, and so, you know, startups by nature are frantic. They're chaotic. That, that's, that's a part of the deal. But at some point you have to start imposing order on that chaos. You can't just get to 100 people and, and think it's okay. And le so many entrepreneurs are afraid to bring order to that chaos early because that's not what they like. Um, 
and so they're afraid to say no. Um, when you say the word strategy to them, they get very anxious. But the reality is, you know, so I, I'll often ask, well, tell me what your strategy is. And they show me the business plan that they use to get their Series A funding or their angel investing. Or they'll show me a, some cheesy mission statement that somebody wrote up or some vision statement that somebody wrote up or their values. Or they'll show me the orders, right? Costco called, here's the order. That's the strategy. Um, or they'll show me some product sales goals. And what, what an entrepreneur needs to understand is that, that none of that is strategy. Tell me who you are. Tell me who you are to competitors. Tell me who you are to your customers. What people should be choosing you and why would they choose you over somebody else doing the exact same thing as you? What sets you apart? What, where have you invested your money to become great at what sets you apart? Um, those are the questions of identity that entrepreneurs have to answer very early. Um, and they're afraid to, or they don't, or they don't know to. Uh, the, the hard part about that is that you begin to recognize that not all work is created equal, right? So when you invite your first 10 friends into the, you know, all for one, one for all, you create this very dangerous false sense of egalitarianism, right? We're all equal. Well, the truth is we're not. We're all equal as human beings. All deserve the same love and respect. But when it comes to the work, um, and now you get to 30 people and 40 people and 80 people, the work is not the same. And there's work that you do that's competitive work that, that truly delivers that differentiation that sets you apart uh, among competitors of why, why customers would keep coming to you. That's the work that if you spend a dollar on that work, five dollars comes in the door. This work that's en enabling work. So it, it's the work that directly supports that competitive work. And together those things make up about 35 or maybe 40% of the work in your organization. There's 60% of your work or maybe even 70% of your work that's just necessary. It, it, it keeps the lights on, it keeps you out of jail, it keeps you in compliance. You don't need to be better at it than anybody else. You just need to be efficient at it and do it for as cheaply as possible without compromising quality. And those are not the same, but the problem is when it all gets mixed together, the, the gravitation of pull and the immediacy of the necessary work always dilutes the competitive work. And the competitive work and the work that supports it, you have to protect that work. Well, entrepreneurs don't want to separate that work. They don't want to disproportionately invest their money into the competitive work. They don't want to make it look like those people are more important. They don't want anybody to feel bad. And all of that is, is bad leadership, and it's a false sense of understanding what, how you separate your work if you want to grow and scale to a bigger place. So the decision-making I see entrepreneurs need to do is make those early decisions about identity and strategy. Separate out the work and invest invest disproportionately in the work that's going to make you special and keep you distinct uh, and then lead the organization uh, to be cohesive. Just because someone's doing necessary work like accounting or HR or IT doesn't make them a less important human being than the person doing your innovation or your customer service or whatever it is that makes the magic. Um, but if you're treating them as if the work is equal, you're actually serving to confuse the organization. You're not making people feel good at all. Hmm. Interesting. I could definitely see how that's a very common trait with, with startups, especially if you're, you're working with friends and things like that. Once it grows, you is a very common thing that they talk about scaling companies and things like that. You just don't know what to do. And, and it's, it's hard to make those hard choices because like you say, you want to hurt people's feelings. So what I want to get into to make sure we cover it, because there's some other questions that I want to ask you around entrepreneurship is your study on honesty yeah. and those, I don't know if you, you said there were pillars or there are four common traits or if you just want to go into that study, like what was the intention of the study and, and what did you discover? Well, so, you know, it was building on our 10 year study at, now at 15 years. I wanted to know 
we had studied for individual leadership behavior in the first round. I wanted to know more about organizations. I want to know about the system, the community of people coming together to, you know, in, human, in, a, in a shared human endeavor to do something they, they cared about. I wanted to understand what could go wrong in that system. And, I, and as I said before, I wasn't initially looking for anything on honesty, um, but that's what we found. We found that organizations are, are creating conditions under which um, people are forced to lie. So let's, um, building on some of what we just talked about, let's talk about the issue of identity and strategy, right? If you walk into any, uh, any organization, you know, the entrepreneurs don't want to have one. The big companies all think they do have one or the mid caps. But if you go around and ask what it is, you get 10 different answers, right? You get the mission statement, you get a vision statement. And if you ask people, okay, so that's your mission statement. How, how often during the day do you feel like that mission statement is shaping your choices or your behavior? I, I don't even know what the mission statement is. Or, well, how about the values? Do you, do you feel like you live the values? Oh, those are just for the website. Well, when you lack strategic clarity, meaning when who you say you are is not what you actually do, you create duplicity. You create a sense of, you know, I'm not who I say I am. Well, we all know that, you know, we've heard the engagement stats on 70% of the workforce being checked out and 50% feel like they have no purpose. And to your point before about the greatest thing you can give people is a sense of meaning. You're not doing it now. When that's the condition, uh, from a, a strategic identity point of view, you're three times more likely to have people lie or withhold the truth. Because once you've said that duplicity is okay, you give me permission to follow suit. And when we don't know who we are, we're gonna make it up. Because we're meaning-seeking machines. I need to feel like my work matters. So if I don't see how that, that's the case, I'm gonna make it up. Meaning when you ask me to forecast the sales, I'm gonna bump it up a little bit. When you ask me to tell you what went wrong in the last objective, I'm gonna blame somebody else. Um, when you ask me about what I think is possible in a, in a future or how I wanna contribute, I'm gonna be opportunistic. Um, because that's what you've told me is expected of me. The second condition was uh, accountability. So when people in your, in your organization or in your family uh, perceive that the way their contributions are assessed is not fair, um, you're uh, three and a half times more likely to have people lie or withhold the truth. Because if I feel like it's not a safe place to own my mistakes, or if I feel like my work is not being valued, I'm going to embellish it. Um, so, uh, and it's not about how it's compensated. You know, to your point before, people are not motivated by money. It's, I, I want to know that I matter. And if I don't know that you see that, uh, I'm going to lie. The third was um, go governance. So building on our talk before about decision-making. If in my organization, I perceive that decision-making is not transparent, if I can't detect on what criteria you're making choices and I don't trust them, or I feel like I have to rely on rumors and innuendo to get information I need to make my decisions, you're now three times more likely to have people lie with all the truth. Because if it has to go underground, I'm going to make up what I want. And the last one, building on our talk about cohesion before, uh, this was a, a bit of a surprise, was the issue of conflict and border wars. When you have unresolved conflict between sales and marketing, between mom and dad, <laughs> between uh, the little league coach and the parents, when there are seams of a community for which there is, there's a border war, um, you, you are six times more likely to have people lie and withhold the truth. Because when you fragment people, you fragment the truth. You create dueling truths. Um, and now I have to prove my truth to be right. I think we have, 
there's a, an expression that has emerged in the last couple of years in a very polarized environment, uh, politically and otherwise, and economically, where people, people say the word, um, speak your truth. And I, I hate the expression because we've dangerously confused people to make them think that speaking your truth is the same thing as speaking the truth. That if I'm speaking it, it's true. And people speak it as if that's the case. And that's super dangerous. Um, and so the, the painful part about all those statistics, Matt, is that they're cumulative. So if you don't know who you are and you're making it up, if your accountability is seen as unfair, if decision-making is not transparent and people don't know how to expect to get choices made and they don't participate in the ones that affect them, and if there's unresolved conflict between you know, important pieces of your community, all up, all in, you're 16 times more likely, 16 times more likely to find yourself on the cover of a newspaper in a headline about a story you never wanted to be in. You know, Wells Fargo, you know, said about themselves, we go the extra mile to do the right thing. A year before their indictment, they were the number seven most admired company on Barron's list, number 18 or 20 on the, the fortune list, right? 5,000 people didn't wake up one day at Wells Fargo all at the same time and say, hey, here's an idea on how to do better cross-selling. That's not what happened. So, you know, how you account, and, and if you look at the Justice Department's findings uh, of their investigation of the Wells Fargo, you know, horrible situation, the number one finding was a, a gap between the stated and actual mission. Um, so, uh, the, the sad thing is when you, when you create conditions under which people lose their sense of self-honesty, they lose themselves, right? They lose their sense of who they are in the world. They lose their sense of purpose. And, and they start thinking that I have to hide who I am to participate in the world. And if you expose somebody to those conditions for long periods of time, we, we see it every day, right? I mean, I, I saw art, uh, blog, you know, articles and episodes on your podcast thinking about this, about you know, why is it men in their 50s are depressed? Why is it people in their 40s are suddenly finding their own sense of addictions raising because they, they feel meaningless? Because they've been in subjected conditions for so long where they just became numb uh, and they lost their soul uh, to, to a condition that said, don't be yourself. You, you feel like an imposter because you are an imposter. Um, so act like one. And suddenly people wake up and realize, wait, this is, I, I don't know who I am anymore. Or some life crisis or some health crisis uh, or some unforeseen catastrophe hits their world and they're unable to withstand it because they've lost their grounding. They've lost their sense of integrity. They've become so flexible in their values to accommodate the situation they're in to survive it that now when they need to reach for those values and those principles most, they're not there. Yeah. Wow. Well, you definitely touched on a lot of interesting things there. I love the, the, um, your study. It's a very powerful study. And what, what it brings up for me is like the individual in the organization and what you touched on at the end, talking about losing yourself and finding meaningless. I think a lot of people in let's say nine to five or the corporate world will talk about getting gr grinded down, mm -hmm. you know, and that's where, whether it's one boss that, that is an ideal or whatever the case is, it's just over time. And then I think a lot of for me about the podcast is like, how do we, how do we find meaning? How do we find purpose? How do we find our own power, our own leadership? And so that could be within an organization. It could be 
going out on your own. So within your study and your expertise, what would you recommend to an individual either in an organization or just in life in general, whatever you think would be most useful? Um, because a lot of the people in an organization that are unhappy have the power and ability to start their own thing that might be more aligned with their values because they're, they're in a company like I have a really good friend and, um, you know, he worked in uh, slaughterhouse. Now, it's, it wasn't against his values. It was just a really traumatizing job, you know, and he did it for his family. So he made money and he, he wouldn't even tell me the stories. He's like, bro, you don't want to know the crap that I've seen. And I was like, well, this can't be good. This can't be good for your consciousness and your life. Um, and so that's a challenging situation. So I'm wondering if you've come across things that can really just empower an individual, whether they are at the top of the company or they're in the company and they're looking to come back into their own values and skill sets and leadership and power and all that. Cause I know your Ted talk was on uh, power and I only got through half of it, but it was really good. Um, how to be more powerful than powerless. And I invite everybody to check that out. Um, yeah. So, you know, Matt, I think, um, I think, I think the first step is what you described it, it do, do a, do a, an emotional and a, a spiritual health check, right? Do, you know, yeah. Do you even know what your values are? Do you know what you stand for? Um, if you're not certain how to ask that question, you know, do some of the classic, you know, you know, write what, write the eulogy you wish your best friend would give at your funeral. You know, what do you want the um, the uh, the obituary to say about your life? Um, when someone asks your kid at school, tell me about your mom or your dad. What do you want them to say? And then step back and read those things and ask yourself, am I on track for those to be true? Am I living a lot? The one I ask leaders is, would you be willing to let a video camera follow you around all day long and then use that video to train other people? And if the answer is, heck no, then, then why? You know, there's something about the way you're living your life that's not embodying who you say you are. So find out how big the gap is. I, you know, I, my, I, I don't believe that, you know, everybody who's, you know, who's quit and stayed in a company, you know, and who's just marketing time, playing Candy Crush and, or looking at LinkedIn all day, that the answer is go start your own company. Not everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur. And that's not a, a, an answer for everybody. And everybody thinks, you know, I don't want to work for the man. I'm going to go do my own thing. And then they fail because it's not, that's not how they're wired. Um, so, but you don't have to stay. If you've quit and stayed, be honest about that because you're on a conveyor belt now that's going to have you wake up in 10 years very depressed and like, where did I lose my life to? And you're going to be, re and then you're going to be very resentful. And that, that's typically a, an ugly, ugly moment. So get out. St st I mean, d if you've got a mortgage and kids and all the things that you think are the golden handcuffs, that's a lie. Definitely unhinge yourself from the lies that I've told you you have no other choice uh, and, and, and disconnect from that because that's not true. It may not be start your own company, but there are other organizations that match who you want to be and who you say you are. Don't, and don't assume, don't wait till you're self-fed up that you think, I got to be out of here within three weeks. Sometimes a major career transition like that may take a year for you to do the research and the homework and the, and the, and the field trips to go experiment and observe and go find the right place for you. Give yourself that year. To, for goodness sake, don't waste five more years dreaming and fantasizing about something that you could actually be making happen now. Um, and remember, you're going to hire a boss, right? So you're interviewing somebody to be your next boss. 
hire well. Make sure it's somebody that deserves to be your boss, who will lead you well, who will guide you well, who will develop your talents and cultivate you and kick your butt when you're not performing. Um, and if the person who, you, who you, you've hired to be your boss now isn't performing, fire them as your boss and go hire one that can do it. Um, but, but it is your career. It is your life. It is your profession. It is the, at some point you chose the field you're in for some reason and you, and you loved it. Um, I've actually talked to folks who worked in slaughterhouses before and, you know, for them, you know, for them, it's about feeding the world. And, and they, 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 help. I mean, now in the places where it's done corruptly and it's not to standards and regulations that I've heard, I have heard the horror stories. And so that's a different issue when you're, you know, you, there's severe cruelty involved in the work of, of trying to feed people. Um, it's a different issue and you shouldn't stay in an environment like that. And I get when, when you hear the, the yourself saying, but I have to because, and it's a financial obligation, it's a family obligation, it's whatever, really, really kick the tires on that assumption. Because the more you imprison yourself to uh, that assumption, the more you'll not test it and just assume there's no other option. Then you become bitter and angry. Now you're drinking after work or doing all kinds of other unhealthy, turning to other unhealthy choices to numb your soul. Um, that's a really slippery slope. So, um, the first thing is to do is get, get clear and define or redefine who you really want to be in the world and how would you know you're doing it and how far from the hype you departed. And then start using that as screening criteria for an environment to work in that it, it, it won't ever be perfect, but comes much closer than the one you're in if the one you're in sucks. Awesome. Well, you touched on a lot of great points there. One I, I really liked and had never considered the perspective switch of interviewing your boss. And I think that there's so much to learn in this world that if you, and I don't know if I heard this from some a guest or just thought about it, probably it was a guest, um, but taking, uh, when, you're, when you're moving up the ladder or you're out in the world and you have a job, get a good job that you're going to learn a set of skills. And so if you're in an organization that's going to cultivate your training, your growth, your expertise, and your knowledge, that's going to give you a lot of power and uh, knowledge moving forward. It's a really practical thing to do. And I also like what you said about, you know, do the research, take the time. You don't have to jump out in three weeks. Just, you know, that something isn't right. Do that internal check and then start making practical steps um, in a different direction that is more aligned with who you are once you've kind of reset that internal compass to where you'd like to go. So really yeah. great practical advice. Um, I know we're getting a little bit pressed on time, so I'm going to throw a little bit your way and you can touch on what you wish. But in your company, you talk about leadership, organization, and strategy. So I'm wondering if you want to um, maybe share a little bit about some principles. And this kind of goes into the second question of, you know, what if you're going into a, an organization or you're talking to a young entrepreneur or a person who's going in business, what are the most important keys or values or principles to help them uh, give them the best chance at success? So I'll, I'll sort of do a recap of what I said before on those principles, strategy, organization, and leadership. Um, and in the startup world, they separate those things as two, as three different things. And as companies mature, they get even blurrier. You, who you, your organization, the way you configure your work is nothing more than an embodiment of your strategy. It's, this, if this is who you say you are, then build a machine to be that. Leadership is the, is the act of, of coalescing all that so it works, right? As an entrepreneur, you have to, you, you, if you're so busy working in your organization, but you're not making any time to work on your organization, then you're failing it. 
You have to extract yourself enough to make sure that who you say you are and how you've configured the work match. And so often as, as you grow, I mean, you, you get to, to more of the mid-cap world where you've scaled to pick it, 30 million, 50 million, 80 million, $100 million. But the problem is you, you grew, but you didn't scale. So you're the classic $80 million company trapped in the body of a $20 million organization. And you're like the teenage boy in his dad's suit or the, the little girl in his, her mom's gown, right? You haven't grown into yourself yet. Um, but then the problem is you're so busy keeping the wheels on the bus you know, you can hear them grinding, you can hear the seams ripping, but you don't, you, you won't stop and fix it. Um, and so wherever you're at in your maturation, you know, when you recognize something is off, something is not working, let the early signs of pain, customers defecting, employees leaving, margins eroding, you know, don't just convince yourself it's all going to work itself out or it's a season or th this is to be expected, this happens. Don't, don't, if you're rationalizing, some performance shortfall or some misstep or some confusing moment, stop. You know, it's the, you ignore the stomach ache, you ignore the being doubled over, you ignore the fact that you couldn't breathe, and now you hear the word stage four, right? Don't, you know, you have, the, you have the information. Your body, our bodies give us feedback. Our organizations are like bodies. They, they send you signals when they need help. Um, and, Leaders are very predisposed to, to, to ignore them and dismiss them uh, until, you know, it, it's, you come to a crippling halt. Don't wait. Listen to the signals of pain. Um, same is true with your own career. You know, if you're stopping at the bar on the way home, if you're making unhealthy choices and compromising relationships, if you're lying, if you find yourself, you know, in front of a room of people, embellishing yourself, embellishing your contribution, denying a mistake, making commitments you know you can't keep. Ask yourself, why am I lying? What, I'm, there's some need you're meeting. You're not, I mean, unless you're a sociopath, get drugs for that. But if you're not a sociopath, then ask yourself, there's some, why did I just lie? There was some need I was trying to meet, some unmet need of, of purpose, legitimacy, validation, um, inclusion that I was trying to meet. Why did you think telling that lie would meet it because you know what happened you convinced the people you may have convinced people of something that's not true now you have to keep up that lie you know, so the hit of dopamine you may have gotten to feel good in that moment of gotten a reaction you know you didn't deserve now only makes you feel shameful and the imposter you felt you were you don't have to become in order to keep up that illusion um stop stop the cycle uh, and, and, and extract yourself. If the environment is invited, if you're feeling the only way to get what you, your needs met is to be untruthful, then, then, and you're justified, well, well, if they can, I can, or I deserve, and they're not telling me, or, well, they're doing it, so I have to, if you're hearing yourself trying to convince yourself that your lying is justified, that's your body saying, and your, and your spirit saying, uh-oh, uh-oh, don't wait till you hear the words, you know, whether it's emotional, spiritual, perfect career, or literally physical, stage four. Don't, don't wait to that. But all those early things that you're doing or saying, those are all indicators to you that, gosh, I got I to gotta call time out here. Awesome, man. Well, I think that everything that you shared today is 100% applicable to whether you're in a big business or even a small family, just the honesty study and, and what that means and how you can cultivate that in a small business, in a household, in a big organization, and uh, just really practical grounded stuff. 
I know you got to get going. So where can people find more about you? Um, if they want to dive a little bit deeper, uh, you can look your name. Uh, there's a couple TED Talks that you've done. You've written eight books. You can check those out. Some of them are on leadership and different things. Um, but is there anything that you wish that I had asked or you want to share with the listeners before we go? Yeah, so uh, come to our visit us at our website, Navalent. N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T dot com. We've got lots of great resources there. We've got some fun, really wonderful videos and some white papers and some, we have a great blog and we have a, quarter, a, a quarterly magazine we publish on all kinds of stuff about this. You can, it's the free subscription. Um, and if you want to learn more about change, if you have personal change to create or change in your team, we have a free ebook on leading transformation. So if you got change ahead of you, come to navelin.com slash transformation. You can download that free ebook. It's our playbook on how we, how we go into organizations and create change. Awesome. Well, thanks Twitter. so much. Twitter What's at that? Ron Colucci and also on LinkedIn. So stay in touch. Yeah, well, I appreciate you coming on. And, and what a really important you know, body of work and study because I think that entrepreneurship and taking an idea that you are passionate about, making it successful, making an impact in your community um, and potentially the world if it keeps going out there, like adding value. You spoke on that a few times of just adding value in your corporation, adding value in your community. If you're in a business, you need to add value somewhere. And so if we can come from those elements and be honest with ourselves and in our organization, we can make a pretty positive impact. You know, it starts with you and your family, then it leaks out to your community and then the world. And there's simple principles. And uh, I've seen chaotic organizations and I would think that there's probably more chaotic organizations than there are not. So I uh, appreciate your work and the simple congruence and what you're doing. So thanks a lot for coming on the show. Hey man, it's been great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks guys for watching. See you in the next one. Peace. All right, guys, that wraps up that amazing episode with Ron Karucha. I hope that you learned a lot about leadership. I hope that it impacted you in a positive manner. I know that I learned a lot. I took a lot of notes on this one, and I love how he talked about the four pillars. And, um, you know, he just really is able to break it down in a simple way. He really works with, you know, multi-million dollar companies, and the principles are simple. So they're not complicated. They're easy to apply, but you got to do it. So really fascinating episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you liked it, uh, share on Instagram. Instagram, share on Facebook, leave a review on iTunes, support on Patreon. All of that is extremely helpful, but the best thing that you can do is one kind act for another human being today if you want to support the show. So thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate you and um, your your support, your ear, your um, energy, just your willingness to learn and, and, and listen to a show. So I appreciate you. I hope that you're well. Let's close this out by coming to a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Taking a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace, empowerment, confidence, energy, ready to take on the rest of this day. So thank you so much for listening and I will see you in the next episode.